The Window on the World, an international press review by the European Democratic Party, bringing you weekly news and commentaries that matter. Welcome to the third episode of The Window on the World. Today is Friday, March 25th, and in this podcast we will talk about the latest updates on the war in Ukraine, what happened on the European Defense and Foreign Ministers Summit, and we'll also discuss the polls for the upcoming general elections in France and Hungary. We will present you with the best editorials and opinion pieces on welcoming Ukrainian refugees and how our everyday lives have changed due to pandemic and the war. Let's start right away with the most important news of the week. In our first update, we focus on the war in Ukraine. The number of people fleeing the Eastern European country keeps on growing. According to the UN, more than 3.5 million people have been forced to leave Ukraine. The city of Chernihiv is going through its most difficult time right now. The Russian army has cut off the city from Kiev, leaving it without power and with scarce food and water supplies. Not even the press is spared by the Russian offensive. This morning, news broke that another journalist was killed in Kiev. Kiev, this time a Russian Oksana Baulina. She is the fifth reporter killed since the beginning of the conflict. The war in Ukraine was also the focus of a summit between European foreign and defense ministers held this week. In addition to the ongoing conflict, European ministers discussed the EU's approach to common defense and security for the next five to ten years. As a result, a plan for common European defense called Strategic Compass was approved. The plan's goal is to create a common military defense force consisting of 5,000 soldiers, which will be active from 2025. But let's move on to a subject strictly related to two individual countries, the elections in France and Hungary. In April, French people will be called to the polls to renew the lower chamber and elect their new president. According to the latest polls, published by the newspaper Le Figaro, the favorite contender is the current president Emmanuel Macron and his party En Marche, polling at 29.7%. Next, we find Marine Le Pen and the Front National with 17.7% of prospective voters. As it stands, therefore, Le Pen is most likely the challenger of Macron in the second round. Right after Le Pen's party, Jean-Luc Mélenchon and La France Insoumise rank third with 12.4% of expected votes. Contrary to France, the outcome of the elections in Hungary seems more uncertain. The party of current President Viktor Orban from the party Fidesz has only a two-point lead over the opposition coalition. According to the latest service, Fidesz could collect 41% of the voters against 39% of the opposition. Now we move a little further to East Bulgaria. Last week, former Prime Minister Boyko Borisov was arrested on charges of corruption. According to the European Public Prosecutor's Office, the former Prime Minister was involved in a system of corruption and fraud revolving around European funds. Together with Borisov, other top officials of the Bulgarian government are allegedly involved. The European Public Prosecutor's Office did not reveal further details as to not compromise the investigation. 
Now we move back to the western part of Europe, more precisely to Spain, where the government has decided to recognize the area of Western Sahara as an autonomous region of Morocco. The decision of the government led by Pedro Sanchez, which dates back to the beginning of this week, was met with favor by the European Commission. The Commission considered it is a positive development in relations between the EU and Morocco. The choice was instead criticized by the other Spanish governing party, Podemos, and by Algeria, which decided to recall its ambassador to Spain for consultations. And now let's move on to some commentaries on the topic of welcoming Ukrainian refugees. As we said before, the number of refugees fleeing the war in Ukraine is growing with each passing day. Out of all refugees, a million and a half are children who suffer the most from the consequences of the war. How to help children refugees is the focus of the article as the bombs drop and refugees flee for their lives, Remember Ukraine's Children, which was published in The Guardian. Guardian. This opinion editorial was written by Justin Van Fleet, president of Their World, a global children's charity committed to helping children fleeing conflicts around the world. Ensuring children's education is central to the immediate response to their suffering, argues Van Fleet, who points out that the war doesn't just wreck lives, it wrecks education too. The charity's president also points out that schools have already been closed for weeks due to the pandemic. The best way to ensure education for children refugees is to integrate them into the schools of the communities that will host them. If space is tight, double-shifting schools, using schools for two shifts a day, has been an effective approach, Van Fleet concludes. Right now, every European country is doing its part in welcoming refugees. Among them, there's Belgium, which is preparing to host 200,000 refugees. They are people from Brussels like us. Much-needed citizen solidarity with Ukrainian refugees to come is the title of Veronique Lamco's article, which appeared in the Belgian newspaper Le Soir. What is the challenge in welcoming these people? Accommodation, Lamco explains. In the face of 200,000 refugees, arriving, only 40,000 accommodations have already been identified, 90% of which have been offered spontaneously by private citizens. It's a temporary solution, Didier Gozon, the mayor of a small town, told the Belgian journalist. If we don't address this issue at the regional level, we will soon have a problem, says the mayor, who continues, if the crisis continues, where will we house all these people? There are viable options, according to reporter Lamcon. One would be to convert empty buildings into dwellings or open up social housing to refugees. The latter option, however, does not seem to meet the favor of many. The current situation of Ukrainian refugees is also a concern in the United States. According to the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal, the U.S. can and should do more to help Europe in welcoming refugees. According to the newsroom, Putin is trying to burden the European nations whose support is crucial to President Volodymyr Zelensky's resistance. In this way, they could pressure President Zelensky to surrender and accept Moscow's terms. Until now, out of 3.5 million Ukrainians who have left the country, 400,000 have been accepted by tiny Moldova, while 250,000 have fled to Russia and Belarus, writes the American newspaper. The Biden administration has so far granted temporary protected status to 75,000 Ukrainians already in the U.S., but why not go further and offer to resettle 200,000? thousand or 300,000 Ukrainians currently residing in Poland. The article concludes. 
We now move on to a completely different topic for the second round of today's opinion editorials. The COVID-19 pandemic and the war in Ukraine have closely touched the lives of many and inevitably changed our societies. We now present to you the insights of how these events have personally touched the lives of some columnists around the world. We begin with an article that appeared in the pages of the New York Times, in which Chechen journalist Milana Mazaeva deals with the impact that the war is having on her everyday life. I should have returned to Moscow, built my career in Russia, seen my mother, but I won't be able to do any of that, writes the journalist. When the war began, Mazaeva went to the nearby Ukrainian-American Cultural Center to conduct interviews. There she met a Ukrainian woman who would not speak to her in the language they both know. Russian. She looked directly into my eyes and told me that because I'm a Russian citizen, she thinks of me as her enemy, the journalist recalls. Mazaeva would have liked to tell her about her personal experience, that she grew up during the Second Chechen War, and that she has no sympathy for Putin. I heard a podcast where a journalist was explaining that sanctions are working because they are pushing Russian citizens to protest. That was painful to hear. People in Russian cities are protesting, but not because of sanctions. Instead, it's because they're against the war, against killing innocent people, the journalist says. But even if we're not directly tied to Russia or Ukraine, this war now and the COVID before have become daily topics of discussion for everyone. Talks among friends about war and pandemic, when everyone feels uncomfortable at the dinner table, is the title of Paolo Di Paolo's article in La Repubblica. The fortune of being sheltered thanks to geography does not shelter us from the traumas of history, the journalist explains. Information seeps into our days. The grim bulletins of the pandemic first. The bulletins from besieged Ukrainian cities now, writes Di Paolo. The journalist explains how relative to both topics he found himself at odds with friends with whom I thought I would roughly and forever be on the same side. For Di Paolo, it's not as worrying to disagree with a columnist invited to a talk show, but rather to find out that a friend of yours may be a anti-vaccine fanatic or a Putin supporter. Learning to communicate and mediate between individuals is the subject of the article on this International Day of Happiness, what if we take the opportunity to change our attitude? which appeared in the Belgian newspaper La Libre. For jurist and mediator Benedict de Carlaté, we often don't think about the reasons behind a point of view opposite to our own. We've seen this often in debates about vaccines or anti-COVID measures. When you have something to say, you have to choose the right time, person and place, rather than talking, emailing or posting on social media, riding the wave of emotions, explains the mediator. Once you've considered the opposing viewpoint, you can try to find the best solution that meets the needs of both. Some will say that this is all well and good, but it will not stop people like Vladimir Putin doing what he does. But if we can't get along and talk to each other calmly and correctly between colleagues or neighbors, isn't it ultimately logical enough to have conflicts at all levels? And we are at the end of the third episode, The Window on the World. Before I leave you, I would like to remind you that the issue of refugees' intake will be the main topic of a meeting between the Justice and Interior Ministers of the EU. This summit will take place next Monday, and we will discuss all of this in our next episode. Research and writing for this episode was done by Daniela Ruzza, and behind the mic, it's me, your host, Alexandra Napanich. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Until 
Until next time, take care and goodbye.